0: Hello, and welcome to The Parenthood. I'm Marina Fogel. Now, when I'm teaching the Bump class, one of the questions I get asked a lot is how to introduce a new baby to a beloved pet. Because up until this moment, their dog or cat or parrot has been their beloved baby, and they simply don't want it to feel replaced. And that's because humans generally thrive on being around animals, and never more often than when we have children in our lives. But life as a parent is hectic. And while your children might be clamouring for a puppy, you might not be sure if it's the right decision. So I thought long and hard about whose brain I could pick on this topic and came up with someone very close to me, my father-in-law no less. Dr. Bruce Fogel is a vet with over four decades of experience of caring for a variety of pets, as well as an illustrious writing career. Uh, his many books adorn the shelves of our house. How many books have you written, Bruce?
1: Uh, I hate to say, so I'm not going to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Humble.
1: Well, I had to put everybody through school, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of books.
0: Bruce, thank you for coming on The Parenthood. You're um, very welcome. So uh, what is, I thought I'd just start with some general questions. What's the most extraordinary book? pet you've ever looked at? Because the bread and butter is dogs and cats, isn't it?
1: Yes. Um, there would be um, a, a man who owned a national newspaper, um, came in with a bird that his chauffeur had hit by with his car. And he was worried that this sparrow might not survive. It was, in fact, a dead sparrow that was brought in. Oh, dear. (laughs) Uh, We did have one man uh, run into the clinic with a decapitated ant, but I think that he needed (laughs) uh, a little bit of help over and above what a vet could provide. (laughs) It's mostly dogs and cats. Uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, uh, that would be extended to monkeys, large birds, snakes, but now in London, people are very, very sensible about, about the animals that they keep. And they keep domesticated species rather than odd ones.
0: And what's the worst pet you've ever looked after or the worst animal? I know you worked at London Zoo for a bit, didn't you?
1: I worked at the zoo. Um, <clears throat> with no disrespect to your sister-in-law, my daughter, uh, <laughs> Tamara, probably the worst pet was uh, her partner's elderly Jack Russell type dog, Jack. Uh, and that was only because Jack uh, had senile dementia. And when you came into the house, he would simply uh, grab your shoe in his mouth and just shake it. So <laughs> he was lovable if, you, if you'd lived with him and you remembered him in his prime. He, he was slightly irritating by the time I got to know him.
0: <laughs> and any, any animals <clears throat> that you don't like looking after?
1: You know, I can't think of anything I, I don't like. The, the great thing about animals is it doesn't matter what species it is, they are completely honest with their feelings and emotions. So if a dog is brought in and it's aggressive with me, it doesn't really bother me that it's aggressive because I expect it to be if it's worried or if it's fearful. And that extends to almost uh, any animal. The ones that are gregariously sociable, dogs in particular in my context, Uh, are the ones that are most enjoyable to actually work with because we like getting things in return. Uh, I get less in return from a typical cat. I get more in return from a humanized cat that's been raised in a family from kittenhood uh, and looks upon us as the givers. But there isn't anything I really don't like.
0: Well, that brings us nicely onto my next question because you know a lot of families, uh, certainly in the UK, a lot of families around the world, love having pets and they're a rich part of of that family uh, dynamic. Um, and there are loads of benefits to us um, as a family uh, to having a pet. So we know that you know I see certainly with my children that having a puppy when we got the puppy, you know, that they, they have responsibility. There's a respect for animals and knowing that you have to understand them and not sometimes not be too boisterous
1: there is uh, a universal need in every single culture it isn't simply uh, middle class <clears throat> excuse me it isn't simply middle class uh, uk culture every culture uh, around the world keeps pets uh, those that happen to live in environments where dogs are available consistently choose the dog uh, to be their pet and there are a range of values that we get from it some of which are obvious and others are very hidden. You have to go digging fairly deep to to discover what they are. The obvious uh, value to you and me is that we're bringing the outdoors indoors. We're a species that evolved in a more natural environment than we live in today. So if I look around uh, your kitchen, you've got lots of plants uh, in the kitchen. You've made certain that you have very large windows looking out onto your garden, because we like to live in a natural environment. And it's only in the last, what, uh, eight or nine generations that we've cut ourselves off from the rural uh, environment that we lived in until very recently. (coughs) Excuse me. So by bringing dogs and cats into our homes, subliminally, it's our way of reconnecting with what from an evolutionary point of view is is normal. So that's a value. It's something that's... And that's from a health
0: point culture. of view, it's great too because if anything, our homes have become too clean and too sanitized. And it's, it's quite good, isn't it, to bring a few germs and for the dog to lick your child's spoon and that kind of thing. You know,
1: that, <clears throat> that That's a really interesting one because the very best study that's been carried out on whether uh, dogs in particular are dangerous or beneficial to children had to do... Uh, with allergy. This was a study that was uh, carried out in Sweden. Children raised on farms are the least likely to develop allergies in Sweden. Those who are raised from birth with dogs or cats are the second least likely, and those who are raised in the absence of animals in their very early lives are the ones who are most likely to develop allergies. So certainly in Sweden, and I think we can extrapolate to here or to North America, there is some preventative aspect of living your early life surrounded by animals. It's probably that we're exposed to uh, different microorganisms when we're, when we're very, very young and our immune systems understand, learn how to, to cope with those. And if we're not exposed to it, then our immune systems don't learn how to cope with it. So you could say that there is, from the point of view of your immune system, there seems to be uh, a health benefit. We happen to li- live in a squeaky clean environment today, uh, and that means that transmission of disease from dogs or cats to us is extraordinarily low. Uh, here in the UK, we're we're in a rabies-free uh, country.
0: Is that the biggest risk, the rabies? Uh, worldwide, that yeah. is
1: overwhelmingly the biggest risk. And um, the United Nations statistics are that probably 20,000 children uh, each year uh, die from bites from rabid dogs, uh, almost all in India and in Africa, to a lesser extent, a very small extent in South America. But the transmission of other diseases, let's say worms. Um, If a child in London has worms and there are dogs and cats in the family, that mother is on to me uh, in an instant. Has, has, my, has my daughter got worms from the dog? And the answer, of course, is no. Your daughter got worms because her best friend at school rubbed her bum. Uh, and then they uh, exchanged hands and they sucked their fingers. And that's how they get worms. Uh, the types of worms that uh, dogs get, that canines get, are not transmitted to us. So it's total rubbish that we can get worms from dogs. There there isn't a single worm that we can get. There's something called ringworm, uh, which is a fungus. It's not a worm. Uh, If your cat, for example, uh, has ringworm, then you and I can get ringworm from the cat. But the internal parasites, the roundworms, the tapeworms, uh, the whipworms, the the various worms that dogs can uh, theoretically get, and in fact, in practice, don't get very often, we don't get them from the dogs.
0: So actually, uh, I remember when Iona was just born and bringing her home and feeding her and uh, having to fish out a dog's hair from her mouth as sort of five-day-old Iona tried to sort of latch on. So I do feel a bit less guilty about that now. I do yeah, remember I think thinking can, at the uh, time. Uh, well,
1: um, the Swedish evidence is you were you're instantly boosting her immune system from from the time she was suckling.
0: <laughs> um I think the other thing that having pets is really good for is enabling parents to have sometimes quite difficult conversations that you need to have with children about, you know, about uh, responsibility, but even about sort of death and illness. And, you know, they're much more likely to experience sort of bereavement after losing a pet rather than losing a member of their family, just because that is quite rare nowadays. And it's it's quite a good thing for them to not necessarily experience, but sort of understand at an early age.
1: Um It's probably just the last two generations uh, that are not exposed to human death on a routine basis and seeing dead people. And you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, A cat at the end of its life, or a dog at the end of its life, or a bird for that matter, can very often be the child's first experience with death and of seeing something that has died. And in that sense, if they are in the right environment with the right parents, uh, coaxing them through that that process, then it is an introduction to the uh, that life is finite and everything has a beginning and also an end
0: I think you know and the, what you talked at the beginning was that sort of bringing the outside in but also bringing us who are traditionally inside and it's increasingly a generation of children who spend a lot of time in front of their screens, you know having a dog or a cat or- Quite frankly, even a sort of gerbil, you know, it gets them doing other things, it gets them outside and sort of enjoying nature, how we're meant to enjoy it.
1: The reason I've consistently stuck with dogs, we've had cats, and I love cats, but the but the value of dogs to me uh, is that it forces me to go outside. I get my two hours, one and a half hours, if I'm lucky, two hours of walking a day. And each time uh, I go through the end of uh, one dog's life and there's the gap before we get another one. Uh, I find that I'm taking myself off to the park and following the same route that I would follow uh, when I had the dog. There's something about the, uh, the values and the benefits of actually getting physical exercise. Now, we shouldn't be mistaken to think that if you have a dog, you're getting lots of exercise. That was an assumption until the Norwegian government decided to add into their annual survey of the nation's health questions uh, about how much exercise dog owners get. So they integrated questions into their uh, ongoing survey. Do you have a dog or a cat? If you have a dog, are you the one who walks it? If you do walk it, how, uh, how much walking do you get? We think of the Norwegians as being outdoorsy and in terrific condition, Uh, this survey revealed that they on average get 29 minutes of outdoor exercise uh, as a result of having a dog. So it isn't necessarily the the way you get your exercise, but at least it does get you outside.
0: Yeah, and children too. Uh, Are there any animals that don't make good pets? Is there anything that you'd I mean, I was thinking, what about a tarantula or a snake? Ben's quite keen to get a snake, which I'm not massively excited about. Well, they're about. not...
1: They, uh, I wouldn't classify them as pets. I would classify them uh, as animals that you are keeping in captivity in your home. I find it, uh, I find it quite difficult to justify uh, keeping a wild species that hasn't been domesticated. Um, so, uh, But if, to answer your question about, let's say, a tarantula... Uh, Tarantulas um, are fascinating animals, they don't bite, you can uh, have an uh, itchy, allergic reaction to them, but certainly the first time um, I had a a tarantula on my arm, walking up my arm, I was surprised at how heavy it was. I was surprised at my uh, biologically innate reaction to, oh my god, this is a spider. And then that quickly going into wow, this is a great big spider, and it's is it going to nibble my ear because it's up at my shoulder now? So they are they are fascinating, but I I just don't think that we should be keeping uh, species in environments where we can't provide them with uh, the needs, the let's call it the emotional or the psychological needs. Uh, you can have uh, simple animals uh, that example, might need to dig. Uh, if you look at gerbils, for example, um, we can give them a little wheel to run around in. Well, is that fair? <laughs> or hamsters, little tubes uh, to run through. If, you, if you've got a good space that, where you can set up a, a, a really wonderful uh, copy of a natural environment that they'd be living in, then, then that's fine.
0: But otherwise, you know, there are animals then like dogs and cats that are domesticated that thrive Mm. on being a part of the family. Whereas, you know, a a, a rabbit might not.
1: Well, we've domesticated rabbits. Okay. So uh, rabbits can make uh, absolutely wonderful pets. And it's very easy to humanize rabbits to make them most comfortable with us. Uh, I have met guard rabbits that guard back gardens the size of your back garden and will not allow any cats in the garden. Uh, it's the males. Male rabbits will do that. It's very easy to house train a rabbit. It wasn't realized until maybe 25 years ago that it, you can keep uh, rabbits in an apartment and they will hop down the corridor and hop into the litter tray. But there's a, there's a sociable species. They don't like to live on their own. They, they like to live in a group. So if you're going to have rabbits, plural, great, if it's going to be a single rabbit, I've, I've got reservations about that. Single cat is fine. Cats evolved to be loners. The, the evolution of the, of the cats fascinating. The, the young cats, uh, when they are under six six months of age, start fighting with each other, and the males uh, are more aggressive. So, in a matriarchal environment, which is what a cat's social structure is. The mother and her sisters uh, and uh, their mother drive the males away, uh, and it, became, it becomes a, a, a female-only society. So a cat colony is a female-only society, and the guys hang out around the periphery smoking fags and hoping to get whatever <laughs> guys want to get. <laughs> it, but cats, because they're loners, are quite happy to be in a house on, uh, on their own. You can introduce a dog into that house, and the cat will go, well, that's okay. You can introduce, or you can try and introduce um, an unrelated cat, and the cat will go, I like humans. Dogs are, yeah, dogs are all right. I do not want an unrelated cat on my turf. Uh, And people are very often surprised at uh, how uh, vicious the, the, the fighting can be where the resident just doesn't want another cat there. Dogs are completely different because they evolved as a social species. So even the most humanized uh, dog that only wants humans for companionship eventually, and eventually means it might take months, will eventually sniff the other dog's butt and go, well, you know, I really do like sniffing another dog's butt. <laughs> this is, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> um uh- and so when you're thinking about getting a pet, I mean, obviously dogs and cats, they are the most popular pets, certainly in the UK. What do you need to think about, you know, when you're thinking as a family that we're going to sort of step into this, this new part of our lives?
1: Well, you start probably by um, looking at what's it actually going to cost me before you get to uh, does my lifestyle allow it? It's unbelievably costly to keep a dog. Um, small dog or large dog, uh, if a life expectancy is 12 to 15 years, for food, which is the primary uh, expense, uh, medical care or insurance, toys, uh, looking after it when you go off on holiday, it will be 10 to 15,000 pounds. If you have two dogs, you, you double that. And You might just be spending uh, 500 pounds or uh, if you're a real goodie going off to Battersea Dog's home and finding something that will cost 100 pounds, but it is very expensive. And if you don't think that you have that uh, money to set aside, then maybe think twice. And then secondly, you're taking on an emotional responsibility for a period of time. Cats, because so many are happy, Uh, to have a big large house to live in and if they start off as uh, very young kittens there uh, many of them go well I I don't want to go outside because I feel more secure in here. Cats are self-operating so they are very often easier to look after and if you're getting a dog you are tying yourself down to I must take this dog out for its exercise several times a day uh, it has uh, various mental needs as, as well as physical needs. Do I have the time uh, and the patience uh, to do that? And in my family with my children, are my children go- going to be a hindrance in doing that? Can they participate? Are they old enough to take on responsibility? That usually means uh, with typical kids maybe seven years of age, Um, with those really solid kids, uh, even at five years of age, some of them have have this maturity that they can take on responsibility. But don't get a dog or a cat for your children. If you're getting one, you're getting one because you think that having a dog or a cat in your home enhances your family. Yeah, because
0: they get bored quite quick. I mean, the excitement of the new dog sort of wears like it does the... That's right. And it's your
1: responsibility yeah. Uh, once your kids are older, uh, they can take on responsibility, but lifelong it's your physical and mental responsibility, emotional responsibility to to look after it.
0: And that, however excited your seven-year-old is about having a new puppy, it's n- it's not even something they can give really to the extent that the dog needs because they're in school all day, and you can't leave a dog at home for that, you know, for, for six, seven hours alone. Can you at a time?
1: Yeah, it's always it's it, it's always the parents' uh, dog. What you've just described is what I hear a couple of times a week. We've got the dog for Emily. Um, And I'll say, no. (laughs) If you think that's the way, then you haven't got it. You you don't realize you're the one who's actually uh, responsible for looking after it. And we get kittens or pups because they're cartoon cute. And sometimes some people forget that they grow into, not unreasonably, great big thugs on occasion. And all of them will go through the awkward teenage years. Depends on the breed of dog you get, but you can get some. There's some breeds that when, when they go through their rebellious uh, teenage period, you wonder, why on earth did I, did, I get, did I burden myself with something like this? Fortunately, yeah, I, mean, I had most that with Storm,
0: the Labrador, that is sort of, you know, the Labradors are sort of meant to be the easiest. But when she was a teenager, there were times that I felt like if she could have stuck two fingers up at me, she would have done gladly.
1: Well, they are. They, they, they are doing that. And I find that fascinating because it explained to me a bit more of why kids behave the way they do. This is just a biological evolutionary process. And it isn't only the human species uh, that will create its independence by challenging authority. Dogs do it as well.
0: Yeah, well they've got to find out where those boundaries are. That's
1: right. And they, they, they need to know where the boundaries are. You happen to have chosen just about the, uh, the most gormless, easygoing breed going, which is why Labradors are as popular as they are. And then if you wanted a bigger challenge, you get a tough terrier. Jack Russells are... are wonderful but but they they would give you a greater challenge for a longer period of time
0: and So just flipping to the other side, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I get a lot of questions from women who are pregnant with their first child and really worried about how the dog is going to cope with the new baby. Um, They're sort of almost um, more worried about that than the birth because it is quite tough, isn't it? You know, people that don't have children, they have their dogs. And I saw this when Ben and I had our dogs. They were our children. We lavished all our love on them. How is that dog going to cope then with a little, you know, intruder coming in with a baby that you know everyone is fussing over and loving and kissing and it's probably going to get a lot more of your attention uh that the dog used to get what what are ways of making that transition a bit easier for the dog are there any things that you should do things you shouldn't do
1: dogs are are uh, much more plastic and malleable than we think we are that we think they are uh and you're absolutely right um if the dog or cat has been your baby uh, and then you get a genuine human, um, you, will, you will be th- worrying about your first baby uh, and worrying too much. What you do, first of all, is don't keep the, the, the dog away from the baby. Let the dog wander around uh, what I'd suggest is you have a soiled nappy on the floor so the dog can, can scent it because scent is more important than anything. Same with a
0: cat. That can but, just be pee. It doesn't need to be a pooey nappy.
1: No, leave a pooey one there because <laughs> <laughs> uh, from, from a dog's point of view, that has more messages. Uh, wee has messages. Uh, urine has a variety of messages, but uh, poop has, has lots of messages. Um, and treat the dog in a, in a normal normal sense. Before the baby comes along, if you, the mummy, uh, have been the caregiver, start shifting caregiver to your partner. Uh, make certain that uh, he does the feeding, he, he does a few more things, so so that uh, your first child, your dog, uh, is now sharing uh, its love with two people, because two people are giving it its primary rewards. And if you've been a doter, um, who over-mother the dog, try and reduce that before a baby comes along. Uh, so you just develop a little bit of separation between you and the dog because you just won't have the time once your baby is there to spend with your dog as you did before. Now, that's really easy. It doesn't take more than three weeks. If three weeks before um, uh, your baby is born, you diminish the intensity of the relationship you have with a dog by having somebody else walk it or feed it or the the rewards that a dog gets, then it only takes three weeks for a dog to learn. Well, this is this is the way life is, and if you do that uh, before uh, your baby comes along, then um, he's he or she, the dog is already prepared for it.
0: And. Um You know, obviously dogs, dogs look a bit like us as their pack, don't they? Uh, And there's a sort of place for them in the pack. I definitely see with Storm, you know, she defers to me, then Ben, and the children, she doesn't defer to at all. They're
1: below her, she
0: thinks in the pack. How important is that pack mentality when you bring a sort of baby in? and, And how, how aware of that do you need to be?
1: Uh, the dog's always at the bottom of the pack uh, including the kids uh, and should your, be uh, should be and uh, and with uh, with your children six and eight uh, uh, storm should be able to see that when they give her instructions uh, storm follows those instructions whoops uh, um, <laughs> and, and it's quite easy and um, uh, so uh, my daughter tomorrow's four-year-old Jack will tell my dog to sit and my dog will sit uh, and that's the proper relationship so the the uh, A dog should consider itself as just a member of the group. The hierarchy isn't there the way it is in a wolf pack. There just simply isn't that type of hierarchy uh, amongst dogs. But they still respect the leaders, the the ones who seem to be most powerful. A male voice is respected more than a female voice because it's lower. So quite consistently, I'm told... Uh, by a woman bringing the dog in, that the dog pays attention to her husband, but doesn't pay attention to her. And what we advise is we'll speak with a firmer, lower voice. And that, that's all it takes. So they, the, the, the partners, the husband and wife, uh, the dog always should look upon as the opinion makers, uh, the trendsetters, the ones who decide everything. But the dog should still be below all the kids uh, who are up and walking around and have the ability to say, sit and stay.
0: I remember you telling us once that storms should be fed after we've all eaten rather than that before. Yes,
1: yeah, so that uh, once upon a time, that was, that was thought to be important. It's now recognized that that's less important. Uh, likewise, uh, walking through the door first, and making certain that your dog follows you. Uh, that's good manners. But from the point of view of training your dog to know its place... It turns out that that isn't as important as even 10 years ago it was thought to be. Good manners is simply your dog knows uh, to sit and will, will sit uh, and not bump into you. So that's why it, uh, it should follow you when you go into a room or, for example, uh, eat after you. That It knows that it, uh, it can wait
0: and I think actually if, if any of you have listening have uh, children and dogs what you'll realize is that your dogs slightly eat during meal times because any food that gets dropped onto the ground gets immediately hoovered up I remember seeing my dogs once licking yogurt off the wall and I was nothing but delighted because my floors were spotless thanks to the the labradors that uh, inhabit our house
1: well it, it's only when we don't have uh, a dog in the house that we realize how sloppy kids in high chairs are
0: yeah exactly and actually you'll would be so grateful when your child is, is going through that very messy weaning stage uh, that, uh, that your dog is, is doing actually a great job. Basic rules about sort of babies. Um, I mean, you said, you know, let the dog come and sniff the baby. Is it dangerous for the dog to sort of sniff the baby's head or lick the baby's hands? Or is that kind of okay and part of a, an adjustment?
1: Um, I personally don't think that uh, there's any danger in that because you are there with the baby. Uh, and there's the, the common sense. You never, ever, ever, ever leave a baby on the floor with a dog. I mean, it's,
0: Well, it's not it's fair not, on the dog more than anything. But
1: it's not fair on the baby. Even, <laughs> even, even the most reliable dog is a dog. So there is a degree of unreliability. So you simply don't take chances. When um, we had young children in the family and my mother-in-law had a delightful Norfolk Terrier and the kids were at a crawling stage, we simply popped a muzzle um, uh, on the Norfolk Terrier so that the kids could be crawling around on the floor and the dog would have freedom. Now, the likelihood uh, of this little dog russet biting the children was probably um, just a fraction above zero, but it was still above zero. And I didn't want to take the chance of doing that.
0: And actually, that probably is quite relevant when you've got sort of parents' dogs coming into the mix, not necessarily your dog, but when you've got sort of toddlers on the ground. Because also what you don't want is your children to end up then scared of dogs.
1: Well, as well, your dogs um, have been socialized to your kids. So your your dogs, uh, once they get to a certain point, know that... um, I'm going to be grabbed suddenly, uh, but I do nothing about it because this is just part of life. Visiting dogs, let's say uh, grandparents' dogs, don't necessarily know that. So it's the visiting dogs that are are, are much more of a worry, and it's common sense. And it makes sense, too,
0: to to mention that to your children, that, you know, you respect dogs and you aren't too boisterous with them. But also when you meet a dog in the park or on the street, you don't just assume it's the good natured one that you've got at home, that they do have big teeth and and you don't just immediately put your face in in another dog's face.
1: Um, I was I exercised my dogs in front of your house this morning in the park. And as I got them out of the car, somebody uh, who I guess was about seven years old was walking with his mother to school. And he said, may I touch your dog? And I thought, that's absolutely wonderful. Here, here, here's a mummy who is doing the right thing. Uh, because you shouldn't. So one of the things to, to uh, teach your kids at a really early age is you simply don't run up to or you touch any dog that you don't know. Because no dog is reliable
0: that that makes total sense um, Bruce this is really fantastic thank you so much for coming to talk I've learned a lot today I'm sure all of you listening will be quite jealous that I've got such a legend for a father-in-law I can highly recommend Bruce's books if you're keen to get a cat or a dog well actually no gotta be a dog the complete puppy and dog care is available on Amazon and is essential for when preparing for the arrival of a puppy and his bestseller A Dog's Mind has just been republished with a bonus forward from my husband and Bruce's son Ben Fogel so do have a look at those. Before you listeners go, I have a quick uh, favour to ask. Please do take the time to rate and review this podcast. There's no better way of increasing our listenership than by being visible on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And this is how we do it. Do also spread the word to your friends. And if you're enjoying this, uh, let them know that you are enjoying this or share specific episodes. The more listeners we have, the more episodes we can record. You can also follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes and tell us what you'd like to hear about next. In the meantime, from Bruce and me, thanks for listening and goodbye.
1: Before Shopify, were you wondering where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform
0: supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the chit ching.